Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today on this one-year anniversary from recording the first episode ever of this podcast. I can't believe it's been a year. I I love doing this, and I'm so thankful you guys had the idea to do this, and this has been so much fun. I can't believe we've been doing it for a year. It's it's one of those things, um, time flies when you're having fun, and uh, I just really appreciate the work you guys, I'm talking to Jordan Upton and Elliot, our engineer, um, Elliot Beckley, and uh, I just so appreciate your guys' vision in making this happen, and then the work you do every week putting it together, and, and Chadwick Walden and his team uh, as they edit this and, and put it out every week. It's just, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So thanks for doing this, but it's been a year. That's crazy. We've, we've covered a lot of ground over the course of the last 52 weeks, 365 days, and uh, there's a lot more ground to cover. There is, there is. I'm, I'm just thinking back on the sermon series we've gone through. I mean, I, I know we had James, we had the Advent, we had, uh, I don't, I can't name them all off the top of my yeah, head. Yeah, uh, well, I can't either, you know. <laughs> somebody asked, what did you preach yesterday? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to remember. Uh, let me look through my notes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, Jeff. So are you reading anything interesting at the moment? Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm working through Bruce Shelley's Church History in Plain Language, mm. and uh, I got the idea to read this book from Tommy Nelson. Uh, he mentioned it in a sermon that he preached, and he said it's his favorite church history book, um, so I decided I would do it. And, and I'm an Audible guy. I don't mm-hmm. know if mm-hmm. any of our listeners use Audible. You can actually listen to this podcast through Audible. Um, but I love audiobooks, and so when I am walking the dog or, or out for a jog or driving down the road, uh, to me that's a great opportunity to seize the moment and to grow instead of just vegging out. Sometimes I still veg out. Um, but yeah, Bruce Shelley's Church History in Plain Language, I am fascinated um, with how the Christian faith has has shaped and morphed and spread uh, and uh, kind of the branching out into the various denominations. I've, because I'm an, a denominational mutt, having come from the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, but with ties to the Presbyterian Church and the Anglican Church and the Catholic Church, and now I'm a Baptist. You know, it's just always been very interesting to me. I uh, When I came to work here, they, I Many Baptists will say I was born a Baptist, you know, and I wasn't. I had to convictionally decide that I would become a Baptist, and so I did. And uh, um, it's just always very interesting to me. So to see all of that kind of branch out, and Bruce Shelley does a great job of presenting it in a way that is accessible to us regular people. And so church history in plain language, it's been really good. I'm enjoying it so far. So what about you? What are you into right now? Yeah, sort of more recent church history, somewhat. Yeah, uh, It's it's a book uh, called The Inklings, about the Inklings, mm-hmm. uh, by Humphrey Carpenter. Again, I'm listening to it on Audible, like you are listening to your book on Audible. Uh, I got into that because of Elliot over here. Um, he got go. me on a, a an audible sale on Lord of the Rings titles, and there you go. here we are. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, those guys were just so smart, and we're talking about uh, C.S. Lewis here and uh, Tolkien, uh, yeah. the mostly the more famous ones of the group. Um, just those guys were just so smart, and they're I, I I'm starting to appreciate more how they thought differently and approached writing and even the Christian faith differently. Yeah. 
Uh, and it's just so edifying to, you know, in some sense, be in the room with these guys talking it out and, you know, hashing things out and, you know, having co- arguments and debates with each other and swapping sides within the oh, debate, you know, just yeah. to, to, to get better at debating and understand the issues at hand more, more thoroughly. Well, one of the cool things, I listened to Mere Christianity mm. through Audible, uh, maybe within the last year. And uh, in fact, when I open my Audible, I can say it pops right up. Um, but to know that Mere Christianity was, there it is, I'm showing Jordan my phone right now, mm-hmm. um, was first a series of radio broadcasts um, during World War II. I mean, you know, and, and C.S. Lewis is, is speaking these things, you know, and and apologetically talking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ during what some had to believe was the apocalypse. I mean, you know, you're living in Great Britain during this time. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. And um, they were just, they were faithful brothers, and they loved the Lord, and they came up with new and exciting ways to tell the story of Jesus. And uh, those those stories still endure. Um it's a beautiful thing. I can't wait to meet him in glory. You ever think about that? The people that you're just going to sit down and just listen to? Tell yeah. me your story. Um, what a great thing. It is. Yeah, I've never thought about it that way, but what struck me here recently is thinking about uh, the intense faith of some of these characters. So oh, C.S. Lewis, um, he once war broke out, World War II broke out, he made the comment that, well, at least now we know that there's a much less chance that we're going to die from cancer than from, you know, World wow. War II. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he, I think he said that glibly, but I think it reflects the sort of Christian approach. Well, <clears throat> I get what you're saying. This, this yeah. Christian worldview that says this is not all there is. Yeah. Everyone has to die unless Christ returns. Um, so, yeah, here's, here's one way. I mean, he's not, he, he's kind of got his tongue in his cheek a little bit, but, but I mean, there's, there's hope that transcends this world. And yes. so we will pass through the veil. We will cross over that spiritual Jordan. But the, the glory to be revealed in us is so far um, surpassing any suffering that we have to endure here. So It is. It's, 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 it's the expression of a great and deep faith. And I think that that's the end game of kind of what you talked about on Sunday. Yes. So I, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. So the scripture passage for from this Sunday was John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So really, we were talking about what do Christians do? And, and to give it a little more specificity, you were calling them Christ followers. Yes. So this is Christians who are dedicated to walking out the life of following Christ. Um, well, let me tell you why I made that distinction. Because the term Christian is obviously a biblical term. Christ followers were first called Christians at the church at Antioch. You can read about that in the book of Acts. So there's nothing wrong with the term Christian. But but as with so many things over the course of the past 2,000 years, the, the word Christian has been co-opted by so many groups and so many so many different things so that some think of Christians merely as a voting block, for example. Um, others think of Christians uh, as their enemy in war. I mean, you know, I, I had guys that I coached in football who came over and who had people who killed their loved ones 
kind of in the name of Christ, but it was not in the name of Christ. And so that term Christian meant something totally different to them. Uh, so I wanted to give it a little bit more specificity. Of course, that term's not original to me in any regard. Um, but to be a Christian is to be a Christ follower. Um, there is no sense in Scripture in which those who do not follow Christ are known as Christians. Um, and unfortunately, I think that that's kind of crept into our 21st century paradigm where there are plenty of people who would claim to be Christians who do not follow Christ in any way whatsoever. And I think that that is a very dangerous concept and a very dangerous reality that that kind of takes us back to Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do a bunch of great things in your name? And he says, away from me, uh, I never knew you. And that is a very scary thing to me. Uh, I do not want people to be deceived into thinking that they are in Christ when in fact they are not. And so that's one of the reasons that I wanted to to make that clarification um, and and why we kind of approached it that way. And I think that's helpful. And I think what you talked about on Sunday with the four things that a, a Christian Christ follower does are very helpful. And listeners, if you haven't heard the sermon, you should really go back and listen to that. But I want to peel it back even just a little bit further back yeah. and get to the question of becoming a Christ follower, starting yeah. to follow. So let's let's back up to that initial decision. What what goes into the decision for someone to go from being, you know, outside the promise as it were, sure. to actually following Christ in some way? Yeah, well, I think that that it begins with trusting in Jesus being who Jesus says he is. And so in order to do that, we go to the Word. Um, we first encounter Christ as we as we step into the New Testament, even though there are so many Messianic prophecies coming through the Old Testament. Um, but Jesus very clearly claimed to be the Messiah. Uh, he claimed to be the Christ, the Anointed One of God. Um, he, he even took the name... I am, saying in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. Um, he very clearly made claims about himself. And so the first question is, do we believe Jesus, that he is who he says he is? Um, and then we look at the works, the expression of that power and that glory in his life as he healed people and as he raised people from the dead. And then as he himself was raised from the dead, God the Father declaring Jesus to be the Christ by his resurrection from the dead. And then the outworking of all of that as we look at the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament and even to Revelation to see that he will return uh, as, the, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. So, so the first question is, do I believe Jesus to be who he is? Because if I don't, then there's no point. Um, but then secondly, am I willing to surrender my life to him and to follow him? And and the big theological word there is repentance. Uh, to repent simply means to change your mind. So you change your mind, one, about who Jesus is, but you change your mind about what that means for you. So I lay aside those things that are not pleasing to God, turning and surrender and submission to Jesus's lordship in my life and receiving him as my personal Lord and Savior. There was a controversy that arose in the 70s and 80s known as the Lordship Controversy, and I had to do a lot of, uh, do a lot of reading about that. And, and, and the question was, and this was kind of a fight among evangelical Christians, 
do you have to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord to be saved, or can you just recite a prayer and that's it? And I mean, I've read books on both sides of this argument, um, but the the most compelling evidence for the fact that I think that we have to follow Jesus Christ as Lord uh, is the New Testament. There is never a sense, including all of the, the books of the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, Old and New Testament, there is never a sense where um, God communicates, hey, just go through a ritual or utter some words and you'll be fine and live however you want. You know, to be uh, a member of the household of Israel, if you were a male, it meant circumcision at eight days old. Well, you didn't have any personal decision in that. That was a decision your parents made. But if you chose to grow up and worship the Baals and the Asherahs, well, you were taking yourself outside of that covenant community. Um, and in the same way, Jesus never approached anyone who uh, would have been his disciple and said, hey, say these words and maybe get some water on your head and then I'll see you in heaven. He always initiated um, that welcome into the kingdom of God with follow me. Come be my disciple. Um, And that meant turning away from what you used to do uh, and doing something different now. And for those of us who are alive now in the 21st century, that means that our lives must change. So I would say to you, if you claim to be a Christian, but first of all, you've never repented of sin and received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you're not a Christian for whatever reason you might think you are, that you have family who's Christian, you had a relative who's a preacher, your grandmother took you to church one time. No, to be a Christian means to make an objective distinction to say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sin. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again from the grave. I I affirm that to be true. Um, And I surrender my life to you. I want you to be the Lord and leader and guide of my life, and I will follow you, even if it means turning away from from urges that feel very natural within me. Um, I'll surrender myself to you. And then you, you receive the Holy Spirit once you receive Christ, and the Holy Spirit begins to work in you that which is pleasing in God's sight, taking out dead things and bringing in the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And uh, I may have left out goodness out of that list. Make sure that's in there. But that's all work, the work of the Holy Spirit within believers. So if the Holy Spirit's in me and I'm surrendered to Jesus, then I'm going to change. You know, and and there's a lot of folks who got dunked in water um, and there's just no change. There's no instance in the Bible where it says just go through some ritual and you'll be fine, and then go do whatever you want. Um, Jesus is very clear. If you love me, you will obey my commands, and we have to follow him. So so in all those books about the, the, the lordship controversy, um, you know, the question is, can you pray a prayer and nothing about your life change and then be good? I, I don't think you can. And, and again, the compelling argument for that is Jesus's entire ministry and the outworking of that ministry as it continued to affect people in the book of Acts and the, the whole of the New Testament. 
Yeah, I happened to be listening this weekend to a podcast where a gentleman named Bill Schofield was talking about Luke 14 and some of the passages there where Jesus talks about becoming disciples. So he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see him will begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king at war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against them with 20,000. So the the point being in these passages is that you need to count the cost. You need to think about like the potential costs that come with these things. So Bill Schofield thought that in this passage, Jesus Jesus isn't just telling people, you know what, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. You know, you're you're the kind of person that's not going to make it. What he's saying is, is if you don't count these things, you cannot be my disciple. What he means by that is you're, you're not going to make it to the end. You're not going to remain a disciple. You're not going to be following me to the end if yeah. you're not counting these things as you're making these decisions. Yeah. It, it's a subtle difference, but it just makes me think about like kind of the probationary period between hearing about Christ, starting to be exposed to some of the information, and then starting to make decisions to follow Christ. Yeah. Uh, so you as a pastor, like what process do you go through with le- people who you know may be interested in Christianity, may be interested in becoming followers of Christ, mm-hmm. but are not quite there yet and don't have all the cards yet to sure. make a good decision? Well, let me, let me make it very clear. What we are not advocating here is salvation by works. Nobody works their way into the kingdom. And so when I'm talking with people so many times in this context, people will say, I'm not ready to become a Christian yet because I'm not ready to give up X or Y or Z. I'm not ready to stop drinking. I'm not ready to stop smoking, you know, whatever it is. And my response is always, if you feel compelled to give your life to Christ, okay, he doesn't say, well, first stop smoking and then you can be saved. That's not it at all. He, he says, come to me. And when you come to Christ and give your life to Christ, what I have encouraged people to do is just surrender that to Christ too and say, Lord, I have a desire to stop this pattern of behavior or I have a desire to want to stop this pattern of behavior and maybe I don't even want to stop it right now. I can't do that on my own. So I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to surrender myself to you, and I'm going to ask you, by your grace, through your Holy Spirit, to begin to change my desires. Now, think about this. This is totally different. This is not saying, I'm going to get better, and then I'm going to become a Christian. This is saying, the only way I can get better is to surrender myself to Jesus. Yeah. Getting better to become a Christian is, I'm going to work this out. We don't do that. No one is saved by works. None of us can stand before God and say, look what I have done. All our righteous deeds, quote unquote, are as filthy rags before a holy God. All of us come as beggars before God seeking his grace. And any transformation that happens in us has to be completely due to his grace working in our lives. So this is not salvation by works. But it's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. We always like to quote Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 
and that's vitally important as we understand salvation. But let me read to you Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, because this is really important. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that's 8 and 9. And what's he saying? Our salvation is not a result of what we have done. Our salvation is only the result of the grace of God that we have received by faith in Jesus Christ. But then listen to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we don't work our way into the kingdom. But once we enter the kingdom through Jesus Christ, now his work in us brings good works out of us. So in other words, I come to Christ a filthy sinner, unable to change anything about myself, unable to make myself more appealing to God, unable to work my way into the kingdom. I can't do any of that. It is all by his grace. But once I have received Jesus, once I have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, which he gives me at the moment that I receive Christ, then the Holy Spirit begins to work things in me. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there's going to be transformation that's brought about by the Holy Spirit. It's not that I'm, and, and, and from a very practical perspective, when I'm talking to people, I cannot tell you the number of people who are like, well, I want to give my life to Christ, but I got to get some things straight first. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Only Jesus can get those things straight in your life. You can't. So trying is just going to be, number one, futile, futile. It's not going to work. But two, you're delaying what can truly bring about bring about your transformation, which is giving your life to Jesus. So that's that's an important distinction. And I want to be very clear. We are not in any way advocating a works-based salvation. We are advocating a grace-only based salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord that then expresses itself in works of obedience unto God because the Holy Spirit brings that about in me. Amen. So that'll take us into today's final question. So we're changing up the format a little bit. It's a new year, and we've got a little bit of a new format for the last question. It's going to be a practical application. Mm -hmm. So we're still accepting listener questions. Uh, You can still go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below, and we'll answer those in this format. We're just looking to end on a question that uh, Jeff will answer that will give us practical, practical tips for how to carry some of the lessons that we've talked about on Sunday and during this podcast into the real world. So today's practical question is, how do we exhort cultural Christians, so the Christians we've been talking about, or or rather people who uh, might call themselves Christians but are not following Christ, how do we exhort cultural Christians around to taking a step forward in following Christ? Well, I think it's important to note that all of us have a next step to take with Christ. We're in a growth journey with Jesus until we go to heaven. So there's always a way that God is working in me, God is working in you, God is working in every believer to to compel us to take a new step. So I think part of the Christian culture is helping each other identify and take that next step. So whatever it may be in each of our lives— we're not called to be stagnant in our faith. We're called to be growing 
in our faith. Um, but for someone who who might identify themselves as a Christian, but is in really no way living that out, you know, sometimes it's very situational. Um, I got to be honest with you, as a pastor, I'm at the funeral home a lot, and I'm dealing a lot with families who are wondering about their loved one. You know, and I, I said in a sermon a couple of weeks ago, you know, I can't tell you how many times it's like, well, he got baptized when he was six. He's 97 now, and there's been zero evidence that Jesus had any influence in his life whatsoever. So we hope that the the, the water was helpful when he was six. And, you know, that's just such a hard place to be because, again, there's no ritualistic salvation in the New Testament. It's just not there. Um, should we get baptized? Yes. But, you know, I don't want that to be the story of my life or your life or any of our listeners' lives that their family is wondering. And so, honestly, lately for me, that has been kind of the way I've gone at it is don't do that to your family. You know, don't leave a question. Dads, dads are the worst about this. And I say that as a dad. Dads, tell your family about your faith in Jesus Christ and then let them see it and let them see that you're growing and let them see when you mess up that you that you tell them, I messed up and I was wrong. And I've I've asked God for forgiveness in this and and I'm asking you for forgiveness in this. Um that's a humbling thing and a hard thing. But I'm gonna tell you, you want your family to be able to stand in the assurance after you have left this earth that they know exactly where you are, and they're not just hoping things went well for you. Um, so, so be the sort of person that your faith in Jesus Christ is not an addendum to your life, but it is the foundation of your life. And, and this, this past Sunday was our back-to-school Sunday, and I always think of the lunch tray. And I use this example that, you know, you've got the lunch tray with the, the entree hole and the primary side hole and the, and the secondary side hole, the dessert, and then the milk, you know, the place. And it's like I always, for many years, made my faith kind of the secondary side of my life. It was a part of it, but it was it wasn't what it was supposed to be. Well, what is faith supposed to be? Well, it's supposed to be the tray. Yeah. It's 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 that upon which everything else is based, that upon which everything else is founded, that which upholds everything else. And what's funny, I got a sweet message from a lady who runs a cafeteria for a school, and she said every single day, as I'm preparing lunch for these students, I will remember that illustration. And and I think it helps me. I hope it helps our listeners to say, look, faith has got to be pervasive. So honestly, that's been the practical way. Um, but, you know, even asking questions like, you know, tell me about your faith. You're a Christian. What does your faith mean to you? And, and how do you live that out? Because I'm working to live mine out. And so maybe I can learn something from you. You know, and even that conversation can become a challenging conversation in love but to say, you know, well, I'm really not. <laughs> and and what, why am I a Christian? You know, why do I call myself a Christian? What does that mean to me? You know, I think that those are all just conversations that we can have in very loving ways, um, but also lovingly kind of challenging people that our faith has to be more. And that's why I'm excited about this sermon series, because we're going to go back and look at various disciples and the way that they began with Jesus and the way that they lived out their faith and then what that looked like at the end of their life on this earth. So so this Sunday we're going to start with Peter 
And I'm so excited to start with Peter because Peter gets a lot of things right. And man, he stubs his toe a lot. (laughs) I can identify with Peter because I can get some things right by the grace of God, but I can also really mess things up. And so I'm excited to look at at Jesus's repeated call to Peter. Um, Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Peter. Hey, Peter, follow me. And sometimes I feel like, hey, Jeff, Jeff, follow me. Yes, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thankful that we have the gospel tradition where, you know, the church uh, church history suggests that um, the synoptic gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are all really based on one source text, Mark's gospel, uh, and which came from Peter. Yep. Peter uh, teaching and then Mark writing these things down. So really those three gospels come from uh, Peter, and, you know, Peter records his faults. You know, he shares his mistakes. So yes, he does. I'm very thankful that we have, uh, you know, those three Gospels where we learn about Peter's mistakes. And then I'm very thankful that we have John, where John records Peter's mistakes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> John's good about that. Yeah. Well, and if you go to the Holy Land with me, which here's a plug, go to the Holy Land with me. Uh, by the way, I don't make any money off people going to the Holy Land. I think yeah. you should go because it's amazing and will change your life. But one of the coolest places is is a church called St. Peter Gallicantu. And there's a big rooster on top of the church, and that is the site where they believe that Peter denied Christ three times. And uh, underneath it is the dungeon where they believe Jesus was held. And we go down into the dungeon, and there we share the story, and we we sing, and the the, the sound resonates in there. But but to be in that place where Peter failed so big. And this time we're actually going to the place at the Sea of Galilee where Jesus reinstated Peter. Mm-hmm. And it's called the Church of St. Peter's Primacy. And to be in that place where Jesus said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Um, and to see Jesus's love for Peter expressed in the fact that he did not say, be gone from me. You failed me when it mattered most. But he welcomed him back in with love, and that transformed the rest of Peter's life. So, um, hey, if, if you're on the fence about going to the Holy Land, we've got a few spots left. Come with us. You'll love it. God will speak into your life in amazing ways. Amen. I'm already bubbling with questions for next week about Peter. So uh, that's a good place to stop, though. Jeff, can you pray us out for today? Let's pray. Lord, It is by your grace alone that any of us can be saved. And so, Lord, we deny any notion that anyone can earn heaven or work their way into heaven by good works. Lord, our filthy or our righteous deeds are as filthy rags before a holy God. And so help us remember that. But help us to lean ever more on your grace It is by your grace alone that we are saved, and it is by your grace alone that we are sustained and live the lives that you've called us to live. So, Lord, you ask us in your word, what do we have that we have not received? Well, nothing. We have nothing that we have not received. And then you say, why, if you received it, do you boast about it as if you earned it? Well, we don't. We haven't earned anything. You have been gracious to us in every way. So help us, Lord, be gracious to others and help us to live out a faith in which we obey you by the power of your Holy Spirit and we make the world a better place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editors are Chadwick Walden and Fuying Engdahl. <laughs>